This is Ball on Blast, part of the On Blast Podcast Network, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you like it, then subscribe and tell your friends. Holla. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind for once again tuning in to the Ball on Blast podcast. My name is Sheldon Alexander, and after a week off, I'm joined by my guy, Andrew Webster. Webby, what's good, my dude? Yo, what am I doing tonight here on the night of May 10th, watching Nashville and Winnipeg hockey? Right? I was watching <laughs> baseball earlier. Where, Where's our basketball games? I've got to wait until, what, Sunday for the conference finals to start? I know, right? When everything ends so quickly, right? That's the problem. Everything ended within, everything was a sweep or five games, and here we are. Watching hockey. Watching <laughs> hockey. I, was watch- I wasn't even watching the Phillies, man. The Phillies played earlier today. By the way, first place Philadelphia Phillies. Um, and here I am watching Red Sox Yankees. And I was like, what is – where is my NBA playoffs? Right. Well, in that void, in that void, Webby, we will try to fill that void here on the Ball on Blast podcast. It's been a while. I mean, we took a week off, but a lot happened within that week. Well, man, I'll tell you, I, thank you for having me back. I thought my job was going to get stolen by your crew there, <laughs> man. Those live podcasts were awesome. Those were a lot of fun. It was one of those things where it's like, hey, let's just try something different. You know, uh, obviously the Raptors and Cavs for the third straight year was a pretty big deal. So now we try something a little different with the little post game shows. And it was fun. Shout out to the crew. Uh, we had Bala, Ola and Quentin out. And that was really fun. It was really fun. It was a Definitely. little bit like group therapy, too, for the uh, <laughs> unpacking those Raptor losses, you know? Ooh. After all those, like, how many devastating losses can you go? Th- can one series go through in a sweep? I think, I think the Raptors ran the gamut there in that first series, man. Oh, man. You're totally right. It's like after every game, you'd be disappointed and you'd think, well, it can't get worse than that. <laughs> and then it did. <laughs> and then uh, how about that? Yeah, I can. But I will say this to our dedicated Ball on Blast listeners. If you were listening to us throughout the year, we've been giving you the warning signs all year long. Uh, right? The Cavs and Raptors series. And, you know, I, w- uh, I went to take a look back because I was like, I'm pretty sure we said this pretty bang on. And it was from the All-Star break, at least. Where we were talking about the fact that, hey, the Cavs still have LeBron James, and I don't think the Raptors, most notably DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, I don't think they want those LeBron James problems. <laughs> and yeah, that's you know, kind of how that series played out. You know what? They beat them in that game where they totally smashed them. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of said, oh, okay, this is the roadmap for you know how the Raptors can handle LeBron James and the Cavs in the playoffs, and then that other game happened where they blew the big lead, and LeBron was just absolutely fantastic and just dominated them down the stretch. And since that game, I really think that it got into the mental capacity of the Raptors when it came to LeBron and the Cavs. I think that loss was about as devastating a regular season loss that's happened to the Raptors at least this season. Well, the thing, too, about those two games you're talking about at the end of the season, there was so much hype. The hype machine was out for the Toronto Raptors, right? And everyone was starting to come around and talk about just how great of a season they've had. This is their year. This is the year that they're serious and they can actually give LeBron a go and beat them and make the NBA Finals. So much so that I think even heading into that first game, they got LeBron's attention, right? Like he was ready for that game. He was hyped up for that game. And after they won that game, I think that kind of gave a little a little bit of ease, ease of the tensions to the Cavs, you know, like yeah. they're kind of like, OK, we can handle this. And then once the playoffs started, despite coming off that crazy seven game series against the Pacers, where, I mean, if you really go back, the Pacers probably should have won that series. Right. Absolutely. The Cavs, the Cavs squeak out seven games. They come into Toronto tired. LeBron says they're probably going to wing it because they don't really have much time to prepare. They steal that game, or I guess the Raptors blow it, missing like, what, five layups or whatever it was at the end? The, the, I would say that that was a stolen game by the Cavs, for sure. 
right? And I just think after that game, after the Raptors were not able to win that game, I think the rest of the series was just over after that. It was it was done. I don't think they mentally recovered. I 100% agree with you. I think after game one, not only did the Cavs uh, think that they were going to win the series, but the Raptors thought they were going to lose the series. I, I really think too, Webby, it was one of those things where it already takes you so much to 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 think deep down inside that you can beat LeBron. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to have that self-confidence deep down that you can beat him. And it's tough to get there. But right. then to be in the moment and you're so close, you, you can smell it. They were up. They had the game in control. And they then, played just about one of the best playoff games that they that they have this season, right? For sure. And to be right there and then you're kind of just like they got tight. I think it's that simple. They got tight. And it was kind of like they were like, oh, wait, are we actually going to do this? And they got caught in the moment because you never seen the Raptors miss layups like that. Like, And then I think they just got too much in their head. You're relying so much on Fred Van Fleet. You're like all, too many things I didn't like at all. But I'm going to ask you this, Webby, because it was something we talked about on the last uh, postgame show that we did as well. But so much blame to go around. But who do you think is most to blame for how – Raptors went down in that series oh it's tough I mean to have your number one guy uh DeMar DeRozan really not show up especially in those last two games uh getting benched and then kind of uh, again a little bit of a no-show in game four uh that's tough but honestly man if you're getting out coached if you're making Tyron Lue look like Bobby Fisher on a chessboard <laughs> I I know it's I know it's almost unfair to say uh, because I mean we spent a lot of this regular season talking about the job that Casey did with the team and I yeah. mean you see like he got nominated for a coach of the year award right he's one of the yeah, top three won, finals yeah he won no it was a a new award I think they just started handing out maybe within the last two years but the coaches basically all vote on who they think should be the coach right of the year. And, and so and, the coaches all voted for Dwayne Casey he won. And he did a great job. Like like Masai said, you know, a complete culture rebuild and finding a new way to play for this Raptors team. And listen, in the regular season, it, it, it worked wonders. But, man, it, it just seemed like any kind of decision that he made was A, late to make that decision, and B, turned out to be the wrong one and not how he should have handled it. Now, it's a little bit of the pieces that he had and, you know, trying to make a square peg fit in a round hole, you know, that thing. But I don't know, man. He made Tyron Lue look like Bill Belichick, bro. You know what I thought too, Webby? Honestly, I thought that at the end of the day, if you're Dwayne Casey and the way that this season all went down for the Toronto Raptors, I feel like all the changes that they made were to make sure that Kyle and DeMar were fresh. Like, for the playoffs. So they were made to get through the regular season and survive Absolutely. the rigors of the regular season. They were not necessarily made to beat LeBron James. I think they were made so that your two stars were fresh against LeBron James. And I mean, they were fresh. They just didn't show up. And that that's why I think I had to lay the blame on DeMar and Kyle, because at the end of yeah. the day, those two guys, like you can't, you can't only outscore LeBron by two points. I know with two guys. Right? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, you can't be relying on Fred Van Fleet, who's hurt, to come off the bench and be taking game-winning shots. Not once, but twice. So, okay, right? like, this is kind of why I like this hot take that I read. And it was one of those dumb hot takes on the internet. But the more that I <laughs> really ruminate on it, okay, is Masai Ujiri not the one to blame? I mean, now I know. Now listen, I know that he's made some great trades and he's made some great draft picks, but to put all your umph, all your, um, you know, your big dollars behind two players who, as we saw, when you give them rest, still don't have what it takes to beat the best player in the game, isn't that kind of on the general manager to have made that decision? Well, here's the thing, Webby. Here's the thing. I would love to know what Masai's real opinion is in terms of their expectations for this team. Because I know publicly it's, we're going to win a championship. That's our goal every year. We want to win. We're one of the top teams in the East. I know that's what he says, but I don't know if that's what he really believes. And what I, why I say that is because I think by now, 
you have to know that Kyle and DeMar cannot be your best players if you're telling me that you're going to beat LeBron James in the playoffs, right? It's been three straight years. I mean, even coming off of last year and the way that that went down, I know that Kyle was hurt, but at the end of the day, you have to know by now, three straight playoff series, you know that these guys do not stack up well against LeBron. Right. So I think that publicly that's what Masai will say, but I think behind the scenes, I bet you they're trying to do kind of a Boston Celtics, which is, you know, this is your team now, but at the same time, we're retooling. We're always, you know, we're making sure that we're going to try to draft well. We're going to make the most of our, our draft picks and develop, develop our kids along the way so that we're not necessarily taking away from the present, but we're definitely building for the future at the exact same time, which is something that is incredibly difficult to do, obviously, right? But I think that's what the Raptors are doing. And I think that by bringing back Kyle and DeMar, you at least have guaranteed, hey, we'll be a playoff team for the next three years or however long. Yeah, they all signed three-year contracts, right? Or at least uh, Kyle and Serge signed three-year deals, right? Yeah. So I think that was the plan more. And so my overall thing to Raps fans, it's following along with exactly what I'm saying here. It depends on what your expectations are. So if your expectations are that the Raptors are going to win the NBA championship and like that's their real expectations then of course you're going to be disappointed of course you think that they need to retool and not blow it up but you need to trade Kyle and DeMar or something like that right but if you're just on this wave where as I'm saying you're Masai you're happy making the playoffs we know MLSE is happy making the playoffs because they can justify raising ticket prices every year right I bet you don't take that you make the playoffs you win a round Maybe you make the conference finals depending on when you play LeBron. I bet you MLSE will take that. And I, I, that's what I think the difference is here. So the other funny thing, too, is that with what you want to do with your roster and how you're planning on going uh, to look at the next three or four years, it's so funny because it, it's almost like the Raptors lose to LeBron again. Because yep. you now have to wait until he makes his decision on where he's <laughs> going to play the next couple of years yeah. to really figure out what your strategy is for the next three to four years. Oh, it, I totally agree. If he stays in the East, the Raptors are going to look much different than if he decides to go play in the Western Conference, right? I mean, I, I would assume so. I mean, I bet you they could talk themselves into if LeBron leaves – then, okay, well, we have a chance, even though that doesn't make sense because the Celtics are going to be the Celtics. Like, I mean, they're in the conference final now. Add Kyrie and and Gordon Hayward, right? And that's going to be trouble. The Sixers, they got a lot of – I mean, there's a lot that can happen with that Sixers roster to boost that even more too. So if you're just going to sit around and basis on what LeBron James does, I don't know. I think the Raptors can find themselves in trouble. And also, that's kind of a sad existence, right? <laughs> well, it's like, honestly, and you know what? One of our former colleagues, uh, Matt Rappel, uh, I was talking with him yesterday or the other day after the after game three. Yeah. And he was saying, you know, what what do the what do the Raptors do? Are they now the Knicks to Michael <laughs> to Michael Jordan's Bulls back in the day? Do you run this team back? Is this I mean, listen, you're going to make the playoffs. You're going to give them a good run every year. Well, hopefully better than a four-game sweep. (laughs) But do you just try to run this back to try and stay relevant and stay in in the postseason? Well, this is where we're going to find out exactly what I'm saying, right? Like, is there there public display of, hey, we want to compete for a championship, we want to win, that's what Masai says publicly, we're going to find out whether that's true or not. Because there's no way that you should be able to convince your fan base or even a board of executives that you're trying to win a championship and you think that you can beat LeBron James and you bring back the exact same team and the same coach, that makes no sense. Because it's not even like you hung around with Cleveland. You got swept. In fact, you got swept in back-to-back years. (laughs) Exactly. Right? Like, What do they say the definition definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, right? Exactly. Exactly. So we're going to find out if you really, if the Raptors as an organization are really serious in what they're telling us that they want to compete for a championship, you cannot bring back the same team and tell me that 
you think you can beat LeBron because nothing that's happened over the past three years. Because again, in the playoffs against the against the the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Raptors are twelve and two, and they've lost all their road games. Like there's nothing there that tells me that you can beat the Cavs. So you can't bring back the same team again and tell me that hey, yeah, we're competing for a championship. That makes no sense. And I know unless hey, I love unless, unless LeBron goes to play in LA. Still, though, man, I mean, yes, you're, you're right. You're right. But, I mean, if you look at who's going to be favored next year in the Eastern Conference, it's not going to be the Raptors. Plus, I don't think anybody's going to fall for the Raptors having a good season next year again. Right? Like, I, I think this was a year that people fell for that, and I don't – well, I didn't fall for it. Well, but, and they, they did have a good season. They had a great season. But, I mean, in terms of that translating into regular season – into postseason success. Right. 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 Like they had a good regular season for sure. Can't take that away. But, you know, I guess the big question is, what do you do now? You got big decisions to make with Fred Van Fleet. Do you bring him back for sure? Like it, it, there's a lot. Do you bring Casey back? Would you bring Casey back? <sighs> well, I mean, listen, who else is out there? And I know we we did this a little while ago of like the different coaches of of. Mm-hmm. of I know there's that one, there's that Spurs assistant that I really like, or you might be able to get. But here's here's the thing, though. I guess here's the question: If the Raptors have a different coach, do you think the series goes differently? No, <laughs> I don't. Like maybe it's not a sweep, but <laughs> they still I, lose. I mean, honestly, okay, sure. If they had Brad Stevens, listen, uh, I, I'm now like the number one Brad Stevens believer. <laughs> And it kills me to say it, but you know, if they had a Brad Stevens, if sure, if you have a, a, a Greg Popovich in his prime, who's worked with this team uh, for as long as he's been with the Spurs, yeah, sure, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. If you replace Dwayne Casey with, I don't know, shit, Stan Van Gundy. Well, that's no. the thing too. I don't even think those are the names you're hearing, right? Like. Normally, if a team like the Raptors, right, you've had success, but now you need to take that next hump and you need to get over the next hump to get to the championships or whatever, right? Normally, you're taking an experienced coach, right? You're going to make that move and say, hey, we're going to go out and get a big name. I don't even know who that would be in this instance. But, you know, that's not what we're hearing. We're hearing if the Raptors make a change, the names that you keep hearing popping up are Jerry Stackhouse, a first-time coach, or like yeah. Nick Nurse, a guy who installed their new offense, but again, would be a first-time coach. Is and that really the way that you would get over the hump no. and, and take that next step to the NBA Finals? Like That's the part to me that really doesn't make much sense. No, exactly. No, I, I do agree with you, but the, the problem is, is that you know when something like this happens, you get swept for a second year in a row, you're right. The, the blame, the ax has to fall on somebody. Somebody's got to be the fall guy. Well, Masai says, "Put it on me. Put it on me." Well, listen. After oh, reading Masai, that, after reading that tweet and thinking about it, man, maybe it does fall on Masai. You know, that that's a hot. It was a hot take, and when I read it, I was like, "Ooh, that's that's spicy. That's caliente. That's a little too spicy for me." And then I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, "Isn't doesn't it really actually do? It does fall on Masai." But again, trust and, me, and man, they don't I, have any. Do they have any draft picks this year? No, they don't have any draft picks this year. They they traded it for Surge. Oh, no, sorry. They traded their draft pick for – they had to get rid of Damari Carroll. Right, that's it. Right? That's so and the Damari Carroll. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's great. Right, So, which was a signing that Masai made that was a mistake. But again, I'm telling you, I think that if you got Masai to like off the record and asked him seriously what's going on, I bet you it's exactly what I'm saying, Webby. They're happy with, hey, this franchise was nothing five years ago, right? Like, it was an embarrassment of an organization. They'd only won, what, one playoff series in their entire existence, right? And I think now, when you look at it, you've had playoff runs. You've won a round in each of the last three years. You've won at least one playoff round. That organized, like, you'll take that if you're the Toronto Raptors. You're you're Dwayne Casey. You've improved your team's record each of the past, what, five years, I think it is, or if not four You'll take that. You are now like a, above average, if not top tier team in the NBA. And I think if you're the Toronto Raptors as from a franchise standpoint, you take that. And I think that Masai keeping DeMar and Kyle 
And, well, Surge is another story because I think that was just a mistake no yeah. how you slice it. You know what? <laughs> and, and history is going to be kind to your Serge Ibaka sucks takes. <laughs> oh, jeez. He, he had me worrying for about, what, two games that I was <laughs> wrong about Surge, and then he just went back to being like crap. That's oh, my it. God. Right? But I, I think if you ask Masai, he'll tell you, like, you bring that team back because, hey, we can maintain that stability of at least being a playoff team and not being a, a basement, you know, Phoenix Suns team or whatever. Because if you trade DeMar or Kyle and just try to rebuild, like, what does that mean? You tank? The Raptors aren't going to do that after finally making the playoffs and being somewhat legitimate with, if given the option. They're not going to do that. Right. So, yeah. I mean, tough loss for the Raptors. The Cavs obviously moving on. And the flip side is, you know, we, we focus so much on the negatives from a Raptors standpoint. But the Cavs, I guess that's like the pinnacle of what you think the Cavs when they're rolling on all cylinders. Kevin Love looks like uh, Minnesota Kevin Love. Yeah. Kyle Korver splashing threes. J.R. Smith, man. I was, J.R. Smith been, things. We were waiting for it. So that's the other really funny thing to me about – uh, about the Cavs mm-hmm. is that they made this insane roster turn turnaround in, in the middle of the year. And we both thought it was going to be, uh, you know, really what set it apart and yeah. set it off for the Cavs. Well, we really liked the moves when they happened, right? The Larry, we thought Larry Nance at the five would be amazing. Give sure. Rodney hood a chance to flourish. Jordan Clarkson off the bench. Wow. What a, what a great addition, but you know what, man, it's been the old guys, and, it, and oh, it's those yeah. are the and I mean obviously those are the guys that LeBron trusts. And as soon as they got going, you could almost see it in LeBron's eyes that okay now now he's in his comfort zone. Now he it's almost familiar, right? I'm that he can. Go out on the, I'm going to go out on a limb though, Webby. I'm going to say that if they are to get past if they are to get past the Celtics, they're going to need contributions from those other guys. You're going to need more than than the JRs and the Corvers because you're going to need just the energy that Clarkson or Hood should be bringing right. or Nance should be bringing because I think, you know, all those open looks or those back cuts that Corver was getting or even just the open breeze that the Raptors, for whatever reason, weren't covering. You saw it firsthand with the Sixers, right? Uh, you're not going to get them. settled in. Yeah, they, they took away a lot of those three-pointers, and so... Not only that, but they were so good, and I hate to kind of jump from the Cavs to the other series, but, no, man, no, the, the Celtics, the last two rounds, they, they should they must be Trump's favorite team because <laughs> they have they are so good at building that wall. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable, and now you go from you go from playing really good defense against Giannis by taking away the ball, uh, him bringing up the ball and driving the lane. And you implemented that against Ben Simmons and totally neutralized him. Now, LeBron is the, you know, prototype for that kind of player. As scary as it sounds, he might be the cross of Giannis and Ben Simmons. (laughs) Right, right. And and you're going to need a hell of a wall to stop LeBron James driving the lane and, and... working the offense out of uh, out of that drive and kick but yeah. man we've seen boston be able to do that and it honestly man as crazy as, as it sounds i could see boston maybe not winning the series but definitely giving the Cavs a, a really good run i definitely think boston gives them a go I, I got Cavs in six like i definitely think boston can give them a go just because of Exactly what you just said. And it, it was funny because I read this article by Zach Lowe. He did this whole breakdown of Kevin Love and Kyle Korver and kind of how he talked about how those guys will sit down and they'll watch game tape together and kind of come yes. up with ways to get each other open. And so it's not even like they're calling plays. It's not even like the Cavs are necessarily ca- calling plays. But on their side of the court, they're working together and they have like – situation dialogue that's kind of like yeah. unspoken so like you know corver will come set a pick for love but they kind of know instinctively now depending on how the defense reacts corver is just gonna back cut or 
Love's going to fade out to the three-point line or whatever it is. And with that, I mean, you trust LeBron James, obviously, to make the right play and find whichever one of them's open. But one of them is going to be open or there's going to be a mismatch with Love on a guard, right? And it just seems so unstoppable. But a really good read for uh, basketball heads. Kind of nerdy. But if you're into that type of thing as a basketball head, check it out on ESPN for sure. It was was a good read. And it's not like reading a textbook, man. Zach Lowe... Is such a great writer that all of those kind of complicated basketball things, Lowe makes it really accessible and, and easy to read and understand. Yeah. No, it was totally cool. And it was interesting to see, too, like just kind of how things broke down for the Raptors. But I think that, again, exactly what you just said about what Brad Stevens was able to cook up against the, six, the Sixers. I mean, I, I give them a shot against the Cavs for sure. And I definitely think the Cavs will need more from those guys. They'll need Clarkson or Hood. Nance. Who, did you see that that uh, little drama at the end of game four? Yeah, that, 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 Hood, game? that Hood refused to come in. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm guessing he'll get a shot against Boston. And after you do something like that, you better show up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about having LeBron on your team is that, like, it's a, it, we've talked about it before as well. It's like having a second co- coach. Exactly. Now the other the, the other thing was I mean well you know we said that you know the, those contributions of the the guys who were added late in the season weren't weren't that much to be seen in that second round except for Rodney or not Rodney Hood George Hill. George Hill, yes. I thought George Hill played really great, especially in those last two games. You know what was crazy? The fact that he was injured for most of the first round series. He tried to go couldn't go at all he said he was getting like needles and off day treatments trying yeah. to get his back loosened up what was it Wouldn't what do they call them um that they give to pregnant ladies Ooh, um sure. epidural oh okay yeah, yeah yeah he was getting epidurals in his back man that's yeah, crazy he was trying to loosen up wouldn't work that well at all during the pacer series but then now against the raptors he looked healthy. I mean, especially in that game four, he was driving down the lane, throwing down no. dunks. I, like, I know. They were like, they, they, you could tell the Raptors were like, okay, leave leave George Hill wide open. Like, take the guy <laughs> off of him and put him on LeBron. It, it was like, George Hill was like surprised. He was like, oh, I've got this wide open lane to throw down a huge dunk on. It happened, I want to say, two or three times early in game four, and that's when it was like, Yep, it was really one, two, three Cancun early for the Raptors. Yeah, there's, man. there's no way you inbound the ball to a point guard and he takes it coast to coast, like not even on a fast break. It was in the half court. Yeah. He pulled the ball all the way up and then dunked it. It was like, all right. It happened twice. Raptors. Yeah. It happened oh, twice. But to go back to your point about Tyron Lou, though, Webby, you're right in the sense that it's what I was begging the Raptors and Dwayne Casey to do all season long because – we all talked about the Raptors bench and how much of an advantage it was. But in fact, Ty Lue did the opposite, right? He tried whatever in the first round. But then when it came down to game seven, him and LeBron figured out these are the guys that we can trust. These are the guys we're going with. And that worked for them, right? Yeah. Not only in game seven, but into the Raptors series. And the Raptors changed their starting lineup three times in four games, right? They were still searching for who their best players are. Goes <laughs> that was a- to that was a weird thing. It was like, what is the Raptors' best five players? When the well, chips are down. I, what, wasn't I asking this the whole season? I was yes. saying this, right? The bench, like, it doesn't matter. You need to know who your guys are. And they, I still don't know. And I still don't think they know. No, that's a great point. I mean, you, you're really right. I really liked when they would have uh, DeMar, Kyle, and Van Vliet out there together. And, you know, when in the playoffs, I didn't see a lot of that. No, you know who didn't play much either? DeLon all of a sudden didn't play well either. And I thought that he would have been a good player because him and Fred were were both guys that, you know, they drive to make plays. It's not necessarily that they're driving to score or driving to pass. They're driving to make plays. Whereas I think Kyle and DeMar far too often get tunnel vision and they're either driving to get get a foul, you know what I mean? Or they're driving to to make a a play for themselves. And I feel that DeLon and Fred were more players that are more based into the structured offense of ball movement. Yes. And they needed a lot more than that. They needed a lot more of that, sorry. Because with DeMar, he was just pounding the ball and then driving. And 
the Cavs set up a nice wall themselves to, to handle DeMar's Euro step into the lane. They were sitting there waiting for him. And they also had that, what was it, $100 bet every time someone bit on a DeMar DeRozan yeah, pump Yeah, fake? that's right. Wow. Trit, like The other thing is we got to give big ups to Tristan Thompson. For sure. I mean. Brampton was taking a beating for a couple weeks there. Huge, <laughs> man. Brampton men's can hold their heads up for <laughs> yeah, a little bit. They're back. <laughs> But, yo, I mean, I think it was game one where DeMar had that chance right right next to the basket, deep in the paint, yeah. Thompson all over him, and he did the pump fake, and Tristan went nowhere. Yeah. Straight up and down. I, I was shocked. Oh, and I think after that game is when yeah, I saw the story that there was the $100 fine for every pump fake that you bite on. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff for the – Toronto Raptors, just how things went down. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the Celtics and Cavs series for sure to see how that plays out. LeBron always seems to have, I mean, other than last year, last year wasn't too eventful, but most most often than not, LeBron against the Celtics is always an interesting series. But man, how great would this have been if Kyrie was there? Oh, Uh, right. I know. Both both, uh, conference finals. I mean, on the West, we got what everybody has been waiting for and everybody wants. But, I mean, Boston with Kyrie against LeBron with the Cavs would have been would have been amazing. So crazy. But speaking of the Celtics, let's talk about the team that they beat, a ah. team that you might know quite well, Mr. Webster. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and if we want to get in talking about coaching blunders and coaching mistakes, I, I, I rode this season for Brett Brown and the job that he did. And, and the Sixers were sticking with him through the really bad years to be able to taste some of the success. And I really think Brett Brown's a, a really good coach, but, man. I sense a butt coming. <laughs> oh, like you could see it. You, a, you could see it in game one of yeah. uh, 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 the end of the first half where they they had a lead, and then Boston started to really turn it on. Mm-hmm. And there were three or four minutes left to go in that first half, and Brett Brown just refusing to call a timeout. Yeah, I felt yeah. that was just so brutal. And then taking him three games to play. Now, you're going to laugh. but no, taking I, I know exactly what you're going to say, and I'm not going to laugh at all. Taking he three, changed the series. Taking three games to put in T.J. McConnell is almost unforgivable. I mean, he I, he. I. I don't joke about it because I think he is probably, maybe not the best backup point guard in the league. But holy shit, man! Like, can that guy ever take the energy for your team and put it into something tangible? And he yeah. played great. He really did, and it's it's crazy too because I mean, that game that Ben Simmons had one point in, like that is just. I don't even I, well, know how that happens, but it's then... gonna happen to young player. It's gonna, it's gonna, and, and it's a good learning, it's a good uh, learning experience for Ben Simmons to go through that. And I thought after that he played a lot better in the series. But yeah, I mean, he, he was digging himself out of a very deep hole though, because he had a bad, bad start to the series. And even like, I'm gonna ask you this, Webby, as a Sixers fan, do these numbers worry you about this series? Okay. So Ben Simmons was a minus 63 overall yeah. in this series, okay, which was the worst player in the series by plus minus standings. Uh, Philly was a plus 48 with him on the bench in yeah. this series. He made zero field goals from outside of the paint and was 5 of 24 outside of the restricted area. Do those numbers worry you at all as a Sixers fan? No, no, they really don't because uh, I know how young Ben Simmons is. Uh, he's one of the premier rookies uh, in the NBA of like an unbelievable class of uh, young players who've like really made a rookie jump this year. Yeah. Uh, and listen, it's not like he's an old dog who's not going to learn new tricks. Um, I think that there's still a lot of uh, opportunity for him to to get a shot. And to maybe even possibly one day in the future, some sunny day, maybe even attempt and make a three-point field goal. <laughs> uh, but no, listen, again, he's so young, and this being his really first big uh, test in the playoffs, because let's face it, Miami, they were good, but they were not the Boston Celtics, even the shorthanded Boston Celtics. And uh, coaching God, Brad Stevens. But uh, yeah, especially what you said too, right? Just that ability to game plan, right? Like, if you're Ben Simmons, that's definitely the first time in your career playing basketball 
in which someone's game plan for you like that to where someone's making an adjustment, you know, to, to basically force you into certain positions, right? Like you never seen coaching like that at any level, right? You're playing at LSU, yeah. right? Like, no, that never happened during the regular season. Guys aren't really game planning for you like that. But in the, in the context of a seven game series where you have all the tape in the world, you have a, a seven game series prior to watch tape off, off of, you could just see Brad Stevens, he cooked up something and Ben Simmons wasn't ready for it yet. And that, as you said, he's a rookie. That's going to happen. Um, the adjustment came probably too late of playing TJ McConnell to kind of take some of that ball handling pressure off of Ben Simmons, right? Like, frustrated came a little too late. And it frustrated me a little bit too because I really liked when they played TJ and Simmons together, but let TJ bring the ball up and then put Simmons in the post. And I felt, especially in game five, um, it, it was like TJ was out there on the court, but he wasn't doing anything because he didn't have the ball in his hands. Yeah. And for him to be successful with that lineup, he needs to be uh, uh, making and creating with the basketball in his hands. And his, yeah. I can't believe I'm saying this and being real, but, <laughs> man, TJ McConnell with the ball could create plays. And was, I, he, he was creating plays. You're, 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 not, you're not far off at all, man. I mean, you're speaking facts. And uh, you know what? I just think that it might have been a little uh, – Maybe, listen, the Sixers wouldn't have won the series, but I just would have gone to McConnell a little earlier than game three, you know? Did uh, JoJo get tired, Webby, do you think? I think JoJo was tired. Uh, Like, I don't think he got tired. I think he was tired. But you look at some of the numbers that he put up and what he was doing, even tired, was really impressive. And it's the same as Simmons. It's like the sky's the limit for these guys. And once Embiid is in shape, you give him a whole season uh, of, like, full workouts with the team, full training camp with the team, man, and then whatever the Sixers are going to do in the offseason, holy. I mean. What would you do in the offseason? Well, I mean, I'd bring in LeBron James. I would do. <laughs> are you kidding me? I would do everything I can to get LeBron in, into Philadelphia. Now, shy of that, I'd give, I'd make a really big play for Kawhi and Paul George. Could LeBron and Ben Simmons play together? 100%. Hundo P. 100%. Okay, okay. okay. Just checking. Just checking. Listen, it's, um, Le- it's LeBron. He, he could play with any team. Yeah. I mean, do you try and get Kawhi? I think Kawhi would be very interesting. Oh, Ka- Kawhi would be nasty because then you shore up a little bit of the defense too, and then you're basically replacing Robert Covington who was – also not great in the series with, you know, a guy who's a been a top yeah, five a, player in the league. I would definitely take that upgrade. Yeah, that's a tough one for sure. Rocco had a pretty tough uh tough series for sure. Rocco I, and Reddick, I thought. I mean Reddick was I, I mean, I'm not a Duke guy, so Reddick's always got me pulling out my hair, but it always <laughs> seems like his shots were going in until he came to the Sixers and it was playoff time. Yeah. He had you know he had one really good game, but man, game five, he's passing up open looks. You know who's a lot better than I thought, and I knew he was good, but he's a lot better than I thought. I know who Sarge. you're. I know, yeah, I knew it. He is good, isn't he? Yeah, he's a lot better. Like I knew he was good, but he's a lot better than I thought he was. He and, started out slow too, but man, when he starts playing, like he gets involved defensively and on the glass and with the shot. And he is just like a lump of white flour. He's so unathletic, but yeah. man, I he gets me fired up too. I love him. Uh, that's the one thing, though, right? Like thinking of if it was a Kawhi deal or something else. Like I don't know if I'd want to give up Saric. Like that's the one thing. Like you Stop have it. these young guys. Stop it. No, but I'm saying like Stop you have it. these young guys. Kawhi's not old. I'm not saying Kawhi is old, but I'm saying that I would really think hard before I gave up Saric and whatever picks to get Kawhi Leonard. That's all I'm saying. I would think I would think pretty hard about it. I would I'm not saying I wouldn't end up doing it. I'm just saying I'd think long and hard about it because Saric is really, really good and at the skill set that he has, he fits perfectly with Jojo. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think you can get a three and D and don't get me wrong. Kawhi Leonard is a lot better than the 3 and D guy, right? Like, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying you can get 
a good 3 and D guy, I think, easier than you can get someone with the skill set of Sarge that fits that well with Simmons and JoJo. But either way, interesting times in, in Sixers land. Yeah, it's going to be a really, how... really interesting offseason and one that I'm really looking forward to. And as, as, we, keep, as we creep closer to uh, the end of the season and, and the Larry O'Brien trophy getting handed out and then the, the draft coming up, oh, man, it is going to – like every summer in the NBA is always so great. Can't wait at all, right? And then as soon as, well, as soon as the season ends, or at least the Cavs season ends, it automatically becomes the LeBron summer. So that'll be so much fun. But, uh, and I guess the LeBron summer, the Kawhi summer, the Paul George summer, <laughs> the Boogie Cousin summer. Oh, yeah, yeah this offseason is going to be outstanding. Uh, but before we get to that, I guess we should talk a little bit just quickly. The Western Conference final is the final that everyone was looking forward to. Golden State versus Houston. And everyone kind of knew what was going to come down to. For sure. Totally. It's what everyone's been waiting for. Uh, James Harden and Chris Paul going up against the Warriors. Now, I'll simply start by asking you, Webby, who you got in this series? Who do you like? I like the Warriors. Yeah? As much as, it, pain, as, much as it pains me to say it, as much as I'm going to be rooting against them, in this in this Western Conference Finals, I'd say that they're going to win this in five. I agree with you, man. And I, I hate to say it. I think Golden State wins easy as well. And I hope I'm wrong, just like you. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. But it's just Prove not Prove me fair, wrong, man. Rockets. Prove me that wrong. Team, the Warriors really make me so mad. Like, I, I really I hate watch the Warriors. I hate watch them. They're so annoying. And the, the reason why, and I'm straight hating on them. They cheated. Their team is a cheat code, right? Like, it's not fair that you have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. And then on top of that, they're not even good winners. Draymond Draymond is so smug all the time now and, like, talking so much trash. And it's like, yeah, great. You can talk so much trash, Draymond, because you're the fourth best player on your team. You have three other all-stars on your team. Great. You beat the Pelicans. Yeah, really. Get out of here. Yeah, go ahead and preen around the court all you want, Draymond. Way to go. You beat the Pelicans, who didn't have their second best player for half of the year. Yeah, like, ah. Yeah, I I really hope the Rockets, I I hope so much that I'm wrong. But, yeah, I think it's Warriors in five. Yeah. So what I want to know, Shelly, what are the Rockets going to have to do to make this a series go longer than we think, let alone win it? What do they have to do? Is it Paul's got to dominate Curry? Is it, you know, Trevor Ariza? They have to play defense, and they have to bully the Golden State Warriors. you got to have P.J. Tucker as a rough-up KD. Like, they just have to make things difficult for the Warriors on offense, and they got to keep playing the same, play out the math, and keep shooting threes and shoot a high percentage, and that's how they got to play if you're if – you're, Houston and I know it seems so simple like obviously you got to hit your threes but no 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 like they need to hit all of their threes and shoot the lights out in every single game for them to to have a chance well that's good news because if it comes down to defense at least they have you know one of the best defensive oh no they're coached by uh Dan Tony <laughs> who exactly. cannot coach defense for the life of them so they'll have nothing to worry about right but they're going to rough up. They're going to try to rough up Steph Curry. They'll probably try to throw a bunch of different guys at KD to give them a bunch of different looks. I mean, they have a chance. They definitely have a chance. But they got to shoot the lights out. And they got to, you know, exactly what their team was made to do. That's what they got to do against the Golden State Warriors, right? And if the threes aren't going, the Rockets are in trouble. And it's tough to it's tough to play basketball coming back against the Golden State Warriors. Even if you do hit threes like the Rockets do, it's just a tough, tough game. You gotta play you gotta shoot a high percentage. And I don't know if, if, if they can keep that up for four games against the Warriors, who the difference with the Warriors to me is the way that their offense is set up, guys are getting open threes. Whereas the Rockets it's a lot of, you know, ISO space. James Harden's either taking a three or driving and kicking to someone else for a three. And they're easier to neutralize, I think, because of the way they play in the half-court set. It's just ISO, and you're going to let James Harden take layups as opposed to them shooting threes. So, yeah. 
Oh, now, and who's got the coaching advantage here? Because I know how much you love your Steve Kerr. Well, it doesn't matter who Steve Kerr, like what Steve Kerr does, because <laughs> I mean he has four. He has four All Stars. Like I could coach the Golden State Warriors. I, lo- I love your anti Steve Kerr takes. Steve Kerr. It was so funny. Steve Kerr getting mad at the name the Hampton Five because he actually referred to them as a Hampton Five and caught himself. The the like, Hampton Five is a great name. No, it's just it's so lame. It fits them perfectly. Yeah, the Hampton Five. Get out of here. Oh, oh. Steph Curry. Everything the about worst. the Warriors. I'm such a hater. <laughs> I know. Me too, man. The only one I like is Clay because he has no emotion. <laughs> I would like Draymond if he wasn't on that team. Yeah. If he uh, wasn't on yeah. that team, I would like Draymond. Oh shit! If he was on the Sixers, I'd build a fucking shrine to him he'd be my fi- can you imagine joel and bean and draymond green on the same team no i i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine that at all no the I, amount of shit being talked would just be out of this world uh, too crazy so much going on in the nba is now it's it's down to the nitty-gritty and i'll say this much i said if it ends up being warriors calves again People would not be upset because of how both teams, what both teams would have to go through to get there. I think I might be wrong (laughs) because the Cavs were tested, obviously, in round one, but not so much in round two. We'll see what the Celtics bring. But you go out west and the Warriors really haven't really been tested. And I'm not anticipating they'll be tested as much as we first thought against against the Rockets. So, yeah, I'm mentally preparing myself for... Cavs Warriors part four part four yeah yeah I'm there too now I hope I'm wrong uh I'm hoping that we see the MVP presumptive MVP James Harden just absolutely take it to the Warriors and we see some infighting and Draymond yelling at Steph and Steph yelling at Durant and everybody (laughs) just completely imploding that's what I'm hoping I'm here for that I'm here for that we can only hope we can only hope Conference finals get started Sunday with the war. No, sorry, with the Cavs and Celtics. I think it started on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and then Warriors, Warriors, Rockets on Monday night. So, oh boy, NBA fans, it's that time of year to enjoy and be happy. But uh, in our final segment that we do each and every week called Ask on Blast, which we normally just talk about whatever else we want to talk about. And a couple weeks ago, I guess the last time we spoke, was the beginning of Kanye's whole Twitter rant. I don't even know what to call it. Meltdown? Twitter meltdown, sure. And there's been a lot that's happened since. And But at that time, when we were first talking, we were kind of like, nope. Able to separate it. Still like the music. Yeah. Hey, it's just Kanye, you know, like, listen, the, you know, he can say what it, what he wants. You know. It's Kanye being Kanye, right? Yeah. And we were okay with that. And then the last week happened where he kind of, he upped the ante a little, making comments about slavery being a choice. Really, uh, really doubling down on uh, a lot of the, uh, some would say, rhetoric, uh, yep, you know. Trump support, despite also acknowledging that he doesn't know of Trump's policies. Also, I think a, T.I. was a, on The Breakfast Club and said that he asked Kanye about Trump's uh, travel ban and he didn't know what the travel ban was. Right. And, and so, that released two uh, weird songs now. The Scoopity Poop song, I so thought. So terrible. I thought it sl- I thought it slapped. The beat is crazy, oh, the obviously, beat was but nuts. But the other one despise what Kanye is doing because, like, I think he. So here's the thing, too, right? So he did. He had the the great shout out to Van Lathan of uh, TMZ because I think that was like the moment that all Kanye fans wanted to scream at Kanye, right? And Van exactly, kind of took the words out of all of our mouths, right? And it wasn't um, like uh, it wasn't like a lot of things that I've been reading on Twitter of like you know, outrage culture about what Kanye's been saying. And I thought that guy on TMZ, as you said, really articulated what everybody was thinking about what Kanye was saying and mm-hmm. and just put it out there in no uncertain terms and not a think piece of, oh, you know, this is what we should be thinking. I mean, he really just laid it out in terms of, like, common sense and, like, bro, you're just, like, letting us down right now, you know? Yeah, and... 
the real life issues. I think like the, the best point of it all was that, hey, because of your genius level of talent, you've created a life for yourself where you are removed from the things that people have to deal with in the real world, right? And so while you know you think that you saying slavery is a choice, mean while that might not affect you in your life, you saying that has real life repercussions for people in the real world that have to deal with the real life issues caused by the systematic injustices that have been going on for years and years and years, right? And it's it's so it was such a crazy thing, but the, the the flip side of that, to me anyways, what was starting to really get me mad was I watched the first like he did that two hour uh interview with Charlemagne. Yeah. And I turned that on for maybe fifteen minutes and I had to turn it off. Cause Kanye was just like the things that I liked about Kanye West, like he made he this was a guy that made 808s and heartbreaks and made Jesus Dark Twisted which was, Fantasy. Yeah, but but I'm saying like those two albums in particular, right? Both of those albums didn't sound like anything else that was in mainstream hip hop or even just popular music. Right. He went out and created a lane and created a wave of music and the rest of the industry followed or Jesus was just so far out there that no one else could even match that. That's how incredible in terms of of artwork that something sonically could sound, right? And then now to hear the same person talk about how frustrated he was because he was jealous hearing Drake's songs on the radio so much and hearing Khaled's songs on the radio so much, and he was mad that Pablo wasn't on the radio as much. See, that's like, the weirdest what? part. Like, why does this guy care about that? That makes no sense to me. It's it, not even the same person. Well, it does kind of make sense because Kanye – Even remember even going back when he had the uh, bet with 50 Cent about whose album would open yeah. bigger – like he's yeah. really always been about numbers and mm-hmm. stupid shit like that where you just want to scream at him. It's like, man, you're making some of the best art that has been put out in popular music in decades. And all you're thinking about is radio plays. Like that yeah. is so 2003, man. Like this is a different time. Your music is being enjoyed. It's being consumed. It's like at some point you have to take a step back and like, I don't know. Figure some of this shit out, man. I, I think there's a couple things going on. Obviously, he talked about how he was addicted to opioids after he had liposuction, right? Like, did you see that? Yeah, like, he, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's going on. But like, to me, it's the drugs, and I feel like it's that Kardashian world, right? Because yeah. it tells me that if you're paying attention to the radio, those are like old traditional metric. That's an old traditional metric to to tell you if something's popular or not right and most people don't live in that world anymore but someone who does is kim kardashian and not in the radio world but just in something where you're able to measure popularity in a in something that's tangible so like instagram follows instagram likes you know right and so she has that and every day you could tell oh she posts a video or she posts a picture and you know you can instantly see okay she's popular she's popping To Kanye, he doesn't necessarily have that. And I think that that's really the thing that's messing with him. And he needs that like instant gratification to feed his ego each and every day to tell him that he's relevant, to tell him that he's popular. And I think that's what this recent Twitter rants have been about, right? Like, how can I get back into the, the, the everyday conversation? And I feel like that's more so what he was trying to do and, and done a terrible job. Well, I mean, he was successful in becoming a part of the conversation, but how he did it was terrible. Right. And that's the most disappointing part for me because I just think like, dude, you, you have to know that the things you say, there are repercussions to it. And you're turning off a lot of people, man. And I don't know. After I heard that bippity boopity song or whatever it was, I was like, dude, I don't even, I, I had to turn it off. I'm like, I can't, I can't rock with this. I can't rock with this. Oh, I could rock with the beat. Like, the first two minutes of that two minute and fifteen second song, where I was like, "Oh my god, this is a mi-. like this is the beat is fire," but that's what made Ooh. me even more mad because it's like, "What are you like? What are you doing?" But here's what makes me a little hopeful is that that beat is on this throwaway song that he did as a goof mm-hmm. for Ebro, right? I guess I don't know what it was for. Like to to goof on him. 
And listen, if that's just the beat that he used on a throwaway goof song, makes me think that I hold out some bit of hope that this album that's supposedly coming out on June 1st and the album that he's putting out with Nas is yeah. going to have some real real fire on it. That's all I can. I'm holding out hope because I'm done listening to this guy talk. Agreed. I'm totally with you. Uh, we normally in this space talk about Atlanta, but there's kind of something else that happened with your man's Donald Glover. A, a, a serious moment. Very serious moment as he, he not only hosted Saturday Night Live, which was a big, big, big thing this weekend. Uh, they had some funny bits on that for sure. I know you caught a bunch of that, right? Yeah, um, man. But he also released a music video. Which and, new kinda, and a new song to go with it, which yeah, this talk is about America. slapping. That thing is... So, woo. The song is fire, the the beat is fire, and then they throw out this music video, and the music video, there's so much going on. The video went viral over the weekend, and it's had a lot of people talking, trying to figure out just kind of what the whole meaning behind the video is, uh, but I'll ask you, Webby, what did you think of the video? I, I mean, it's so funny, because you and I grew up around the same time of music videos meaning quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Releases of music videos, what your favorite artist. The, I remember uh, all about the Benjamins video coming out and that being a huge deal. <laughs> the Mo Money Mo Proms video coming out being a huge deal. You know, music videos used to really mean something. And nowadays, in the uh, media culture that we live in, it's like videos, uh, they don't really mean much. There's no real avenue to consume them other than, like you say, if one goes viral. Right. And so to have something like this kind of this medium come back in our lives of uh, a really uh, an awesome way to present this bit of art with a great song uh, and really say something with kind of a message. Now, what I love as well is that that message is really up for uh, interpretation. You know, people are seeing this video and taking different things from it. And I think that's awesome. And it says a lot about, you know kind of where your mind is and there's no wrong answers. I thought it was great. Now, the, I, again, it wouldn't mean anything. For me, I'm kind of a purist. wouldn't mean anything if the song wasn't any good. And, and This Is America is like on heavy rotation right now. Yeah, I, I really wonder too if it's one of those things where they made the song with the video in mind. You know, right. like just how they came up with the whole concept of it all too because I think it's really clever. Like, You know, just the way that he's walking around the set and like dancing and the whole like how most people have interpreted it that he's walking around and dancing and he's dancing with the kids. And it's kind of the distraction from what's really going going on on in the the background. Yeah, everything else that's going on in the world. But in terms of black America, there's these black kids dancing and that distracts everybody from the real issues that are going on. It's just a really smart and well done piece. And I felt like it's one of those things, like, as you said, when was the last time you had to watch a music video twice in a row, right? To like, and then you notice something else each time you watch it, right? Like it's just really well done, really smart. But again, as every week here in this space, we talk about the show Atlanta. We're not really surprised that this guy and his team are capable of something this dope. Right. No, yeah, and you know that the director of the video is the same guy who's been directing the uh, most of the episodes for Atlanta as well. I forget exactly. what the guy's name is, but exactly. he's just got such like a unique vision and like is really putting his stamp on things that now when because when I was watching that before I even knew it was the guy who was directing those Atlanta episodes, I was like, this is so funny because this is like very much the visual style of a lot of these Atlanta episodes, especially this season and how they've been kind of dark and like Robin season. Yeah. Robin season. Exactly. It's been kind of dark and, and a little uh, less happy than that first season was. Yeah. It's such a good video. If you haven't had a chance to take it in, take it in for sure. But I feel like most people have seen it by now. Oh, like 30 million people have. Uh, let's see right now. A quick search on YouTube shows me that 70 million people Holy have shit. watched it on on YouTube. So, yeah, again, Childish Gambino, This Is America. Um, yeah, such a great video. And, again, just all the different meanings and what's going on, talking about gun violence and the role of America and 
him playing the character of America. And I heard one of the like dumbest takes. I was listening to the a clip on the Breakfast Club and they were talking about it and Charlemagne's whole thing. And I heard other people say this too, but they were talking about how um, they wish that he wasn't playing the role of America because it's a black guy committing the crimes and shooting people. Right. So, yeah, 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 yeah. And so by doing that, you're making people think that it's black on black crimes. Right. If they're not smart enough to figure out what's going on. I'm like, okay, I, I see what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but I don't think people are thinking that, you know, he's talking about the black guy that's shooting the, the church choir. I think we know that he's referencing that Dylan roof guy. I think that was his name, right? Yeah. Who cares? cares? Who cares what his name is anyways? Fuck that guy. But, talking about the kid that shot up the the church, right? I think people are smart enough or should be smart enough to figure that part out. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, great stuff. Always here to talk about dope content, and hopefully we gave you dope content. Well, before we got to go, there's two things. First, we got to talk about the last last Atlanta episode. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Because the the flashback episode to when uh, Ern was in – ninth grade or 10th grade his mom and like this is what i love about atlanta is that like listen i did not grow up in atlanta uh i did not grow up uh like uh, Ern's character is but man did i ever relate a hundred percent to that episode of your mom getting you something at marshall's (laughs) <laughs> or TJ Maxx or Winners and going into school the next day and having somebody be like, yo, is that, a, is that, are you wearing a fake shirt right now? And then just being filled with dread the whole day. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, for sure. I have family, like, I have family in the States and every summer my mom would either go down to, because I had family in Philly and had family in New York. And so every summer we'd go down, come back with, you know, a new shirt, maybe some shoes, like whatever, something. Yeah. But it was always that same thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And it's like, is that real? Like, I don't know. Sure. Sure. You think yeah. So? You I mean, hope so. I mean, and like, it says polo on it. I mean, why would I, why would my mom get me a <laughs> fake shirt? <laughs> they do such a good job, though, of depicting such relatable scenarios on that show. It's so good. And that episode was amazing right because it did so well in terms of you know i guess setting up what's set to be the season finale yeah with the relationship between Ern and al i love the kid that they had playing al too oh he was holy shit was that kid hilarious he was so good the way that he just walked over and he's like oh of course he would say it's made in china because he's chinese he's like actually i'm filipino (laughs) same thing it's like what the just going through just going through the people's lockers. That was so great. And stealing other the, people's the, shit and selling the, it back to them. Yeah, the so calculators. Good. Too good. Now so Atlanta, we're we're excited for the season finale tonight. My yes. just before we get out of here, another one thing. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Where are the New York Mets right now in the uh, NLE standings? I have no idea, man. And, and after they decided to bat out of turn <laughs> in the first inning, it's like, what are you doing? It was the like, really. It, it, it was the I forgot to thing? I forgot to send you the lol Mets tweet after that. I really did. Well, after that, or like a couple games before that, where uh, my guy Cespedes, his, oh. his diamond chain just oh. dispersed <laughs> second base. tens of thousands of dollars it's just like, spilled yeah. on the dirt. It's like. Bro, what are you doing, right? God. He just, like, throws it on the ground. I hope, like, some grounds crew kid, like, went and, and picked up the diamonds. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like, man. What is going on? There's, there's, you know, there's death, taxes, and, like, the Mets doing the most embarrassing things baseball-wise every year. I love it. Watch Matt Harvey go to the freaking Reds. The Reds. Become lights out again. Oh, <laughs> so crazy um if we're only yeah. like a couple of months into the baseball season already the mets have just been just already just fulfilling everything i want them to be it's great well they're always entertaining i'll give them that that's true give it's never a boring boring moment in flushing right exactly and you know what webby it's never a boring moment here either Glad to have you back, Webby, on the Ball on Blast podcast as we continue to wind down to the NBA Finals. And, you know, 
hopefully the viewers or listeners were still enjoying Webby's hot takes on Twitter while we took a week off from the normal ball on blast pod. But there was a lot case, of TJ McConnell talk. There was a lot of TJ McConnell tweets. In, in, in case people are trying to find your love for TJ McConnell, where can they find you? My unwavering uh, love of TJ McConnell can be found on Twitter at AWebster84 and uh, also on Instagram there too. And you can find me on Twitter at Shell Alexander and on Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. And you know what? Let us know what you think of this podcast, of our post-game shows, of all that fun stuff. As always, you can find it on YouTube and SoundCloud and iTunes, of course. Uh, Until next time, we'll have some more games to talk about, but hopefully we gave you enough entertainment to last you until Sunday and when the games start. But we'll be back next week. And until next time, this is the Ball on Blast podcast. As always, unpolished and unapologetic. Till next time. See This is Ball on Blast, part of the On Blast Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you like it, then subscribe and tell your friends. Holla. Ball on Blast.